Hey, this is Tyler Powell, and you are now listening to Left Coast Pirates. Gordon will try to go all the way. seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is November 28th, 2021. Mikey, happy late turkey. How was your holiday, buddy? Tommy, I feel like I had to put down my dog this week. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And let me let you in on a little insight. I I don't have a dog. (laughs) It was just one of those weeks, Tom. I mean, you knew I was flying back to the East Coast for the Thanksgiving holiday. You know, sunny San Diego, 75 degrees. And what do I get greeted by? I get greeted by Mr. Frost. I mean, lows in the 30s, high for the entire week, Tom, of 47. 47. You know, I, I, I don't even, even get... know what that number means anymore, Michael. I didn't even get the fall foliage. We're driving up and down the Garden State Parkway and the Jersey Turnpike, and there's just dead branches everywhere. There's not even leaves on the – it's gloomy. It's dark. Since when does it cost $1.90 to go through the 145 toll plaza on the Garden State Parkway? You want to talk about inflation? Give me a break, Tom, the in-laws. I didn't get to sleep in my own bed for eight days. Then I got to come back with the jet lag. I got loads of laundry. And on top of that, I got to break down these last two Seton Hall games. You see, Mike, I don't get you, man. Early this week, you finally got even with me. You got invited to watch a Seton Hall women's practice. Coach Bazella hosted you. You got to talk with Sidney Cooks. I thought you were going to brag about this, Michael. This sounds this, this like a good start to a Thanksgiving week as any. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a prisoner of the moment. I mean, we just, I watched that dreadful first half this morning and that's kind of rubbing off on me. So, uh, but no, yeah, what a, what an experience. Coach Bazella and the Seton Hall women's staff. Uh, hosted me for their practice before they jaunted off down to Cancun to play in their holiday tournament. And it was, it was a treat. I, I can now say that I'm even with you. Yes. I got to sit uh, ne- next to Matt Sweeney uh, right there at midcourt watching a very intense practice. Tony does not pull any punches. Uh, you got to see the insightful uh, thought process of Jose Rabimbus running the offense. And then you got Lauren DeFalco kind of balancing it all out between Tony's just emotion and then them trying to kind of get in and out of their sets and kind of work through the scouting report for USA. It was, and like you said, Oh man, you think they play with pace in the games. They practice with a very high level of pace, but the, you know, 
the, the creme, creme de la creme, Tom, of this entire week. I, I got a Seton Hall baseball cap to take home. There we go. Look at that. a little swag coming in from. I got, I got some swag in, and then I went to the. I got all excited. I went to the bookstore and got taken for a couple hundred bucks. It was you know. Well, well, you know what, Mike? Let's try to continue with that pace that Coach B pushes in the practice, and let's see if we can continue it here during the podcast. So. Today in the podcast, we get to listen to Mike's interview with Sidney Cooks. We get to review the games against Ohio State, Cal Berkeley, and Bethune-Cookman. And we will preview the games against Wagner and Nyack. But first, let's listen to some insight from Mike as he talks to the newest Lady Pirate, Sidney Cooks. You gotta give me a little bit of like preface here. I'm I'm live on site after the practice. I don't have you know the editing wonder that you do behind the scenes. It's it's all on like a first take. The audio is is kind of choppy. I mean, cut me some slack here before you roll into this with these high expectations. I'm looking forward to listening to it, Mike. Let's see what you did on your lonesome. Mikey oh, goes solo here. Probably the last time I go solo. <laughs> Here we go. So today, folks, we got a special episode of Left Coats Pirates coming to you right here on campus in newly renovated Walsh Gymnasium. After a very intense practice with Coach B, I have new Seton Hall starter and transfer superstar Sydney Cooks with me. We are recording today live, coming to you on November 12th, 2021, right before the Pirates kind of take off on their Thanksgiving break to head out to Cancun to take on the USC Trojans. So we figured we'd just get a chance to kind of sit down with Sydney, get to know her a little better, and invite her into the pirate family and welcome her to Left Coast Pirates with Open Arms. All right, Sydney, so we're just going to dive into some basic questions about you before we get into Seton Hall basketball. Let's just take a moment and kind of rewind back into your pre-collegiate days mm-hmm. and kind of get to know a little bit about your resume. So. In high school, you got quite the rap sheet. Oh, yeah. Gold medal, FIBA America's under-18 championship. Mm-hmm. Name Wisconsin Miss Basketball 2017. McDonald's All-American. Ranked fifth nationally by ESPN Hoops Girls. And averaged a whopping 27.6 points per game. 13.8 rebounds as a senior for St. Joseph's Academy. Mm-hmm. If you had to pick one of those accomplishments that you were most proud of during that time, which would it be? Um, I would say when I found out I was a McDonald's All-American, um, I remember being in my basement and my mom was so nervous and like my whole family was there. And um, my mom was like shaking. She was so nervous. And then it came up on the TV screen and she was like crying and jumping up and down. And that's when I really felt like, wow, like all the hard work has paid off. And you got to play in that actual game. Was there anybody in particular that you were looking to go up against? Ooh, I mean, we have played against, I had played um, already with the USA team. So by then we were all really good friends by then. Um, But hmm, maybe Maya Dodson that's now at Notre Dame. Um, Me and her have became really good friends as well now. So she was, we were both kind of the forwards in that 17 class that I was talking about. 
All right, so now you've got all these accolades. Everyone's probably looking at you. You got to choose your destination, and you ultimately choose to stay relatively close to home and attend Michigan State. But some of the other schools that were in the mix were Michigan, Wisconsin, Purdue. I even saw UCLA, my my neck of the woods, uh, out on the list as well. You know, what made you ultimately pick the Spartans? So out of that class of that, I guess, top 25 class, I was the only McDonald's All-American to commit to a Big Ten school. Um, So kind of that already be on my back. um, I took that as a positive. I liked it. Um, It was six hours away from home. I have plenty of family. My mom is born and raised in Michigan, so I have plenty of family around. Um, And I felt like Michigan State was the school in the Big Ten that was fast paced um, and very versatile and that's how I play so um, committing there was kind of like a no brainer <laughs> alright so you're at Michigan State you're there for two years you average nine and a half points per game you put up double figures and 30 individual performances the team has some NCAA success your sophomore year and you also had a bunch of big wins along the way but ultimately you decide to make a change and move on to Mississippi State mm-hmm. and, and I, I Here's a quote that I kind of read uh, when I was researching your, your reason to transfer. You said, I felt like I needed to be pushed to another limit and get out of my comfort zone and get back to what motivates me. So, so I love that quote. In our preview session with Coach B to break down uh, your team's upcoming season, Coach described you as a talent that would potentially play in the WNBA someday. So that's, that's some pretty high praise. Talk about your desire to take your t- – career to the next level oh it's high I mean ever since I was a little girl it's always been my dream to play in the WNBA and just the older that I've gotten and seen those players that I've either played with on these USA teams these all-american teams be drafted now and having so much success in the WNBA gives me even more hope to like you know, I can do that. We've played together, we've played against each other, we've battled, so I know that, you know, if I continue to do what I'm doing and with the help of the staff here, that I can, without a doubt, get there. Okay, so you have to sit out one year due to the NCAA rules as a transfer. I know that's all changed now, unfortunately. (laughs) You play one year at Mississippi State, but then after two years with the Bulldogs program, you cite the desire to pursue a law degree, which opened up the opportunity to consider Seton Hall. But was the major reason for picking Seton Hall the prestigious law school, or was it the recruiting pitch of Andre Espinosa Hunter? Uh, it was definitely my best friend. <laughs> like she, um, I mean, it's easy when you when you trust someone to you know commit. Obviously, like I, there were plenty of schools that had great law programs. Um, I had personally not really heard much of Seton Hall until when she transferred here and we're on the phone every day and I could just see her success and how happy she was here. And um, I wanted a piece of that. And she was willing to say, hey, I'm going to talk to the coaches and hopefully we can get you here. Um, So I know even when I had committed, (laughs) I was like, don't tell her, don't tell her. We're going to wait a minute. And like maybe 30 minutes later, I called her and I was like, well, I made a decision and kind of was acting sad. And then I was like, no, I'm going to Seton Hall. We were like celebrating and stuff. Coach B was telling us that he thought he was actually shocked that you know Andre was even able to get in your ear and convince Uh you to come I mean you talk about 
playing basketball in the SEC, playing basketball in the Big Ten, but to come to a smaller school like Seton Hall out here in the Northeast now, mm-hmm. I know they get a chance to play up against Utah, but the bigger mm-hmm. basketball programs are not here. Right. Did that kind of make you waver in any way, or you want to kind of put your stamp on Seton Hall basketball? Um, I've always been the kind of player that's like, I, I want to be the UConn. I, I don't care what the conference is like as long as we get that opportunity to play these bigger teams and we show who what we're made of then everything speaks for itself um yeah i think that was just the most important thing for me all right so i was taken back a little bit by coach b's practice very intense very high energy (laughs) once you got to campus how long did it take for you to adjust to the style and pace of play and high energy that coach b brings to his team in practice yeah, so I was the last of the new people that got here. I got here late August because I was still finishing up my degree at Mississippi State. Um, and it was definitely a change, but I loved it. Like, I embrace it because I have I grew up with a coach that was just like Coach B, that was going to yell and get on you. And honestly, it makes me play better. If I get a little upset, then you're probably going to see me want to do more just to prove you wrong. So, um I, I don't know. I've, I've just been super happy with it. It probably took me a good two and a half, three weeks to really get adjusted to the pace um, because, like, every conference definitely plays at a different pace. This, by far, has been the fastest pace that I've played. Um, but, yeah, once I once I got that down, um, and then Coach B and the staff, they care about you outside of just the court. So it wasn't like – you know, it can be uncomfortable if you're coming in for basketball and you're messing up in your first few weeks and don't know what you're doing and they don't talk to you. But it was like they, they would take you to the side and be like, it's all right, let's get lunch. Like, you'll learn this drill eventually. You'll get it down. So I think that helped a lot, too. Okay. All right, let, let's talk a little briefly about how the season's going. It's been kind of an up-and-down start for the Lady Pirates so far, right? You got the win against Mount St. Mary's to open up the season. Then you have the tough 19-point setback versus Fordham. But then you guys bounce back. You got this big win against a solid Lehigh program. All five starters score in double figures. But in the loss to Fordham, the rebounding margin was minus 11. And then when you guys had that bounce-back win against Lehigh, you guys turned that around as well, finished plus 10 on the glass. Did the coaching staff put an extra emphasis on improving this phase of the game in order to kind of get back on track? Absolutely. Um, The coaching staff and I just think us as a team, um, we sat down in the locker room. We talked about it. We talked about trusting each other and, um, you know, just defense, period, like what you're good at. Like me personally, if I don't, if I can't guard the ball well, well, being help for me and vice versa. Um, so yeah, we really, we really locked into that. We watched a lot of film um, and I always think like, it sucks to lose, but then again, it was good to lose early to see what we really need. Because when you blow teams out all the time, it's hard to see what, you know, what you need to fix when you do go against our first Big East game, UConn. So it was good to kind of see that on film and then really, like, now in practice, if you don't get a a, a, a defensive rebound, you can't be mad because it's like, well, you know that's our weak spot, so you can't be mad at anybody but yourself. Well, no, I get it. You, you, know, you face a little adversity. You mm-hmm. can learn and grow from that, or yeah. you can kind of just let it fester and exactly. get worse. But like, it sounds like there's a positive attitude around that initial loss, which, which is good. Yes, yes. But, you know, with anything that we've learned in the last couple of years of college basketball, things are ever-changing. There's tons of adversity. Mm-hmm. You guys have this upcoming matchup 
uh, in the Cancun Challenge, and you were previously scheduled to play eighth-ranked Iowa, yeah. but they had a positive COVID-19 test within their program, mm -hmm. and they had to back out of the tournament, and now that opponent got changed to USC. So no disrespect to the Trojans, who are a solid program, but that's got to be a little bit disappointing to miss out on a chance to try to knock off a top-10 opponent. Yes, absolutely. We were so happy to be going against Iowa. Um, I think just from a learning standpoint, not even, you know, about win or losses, um, but to once again, take an opportunity to grow um, and once again, learn from each other, learn, you know, how do we play against a top 10 ranked team? Um, but, you know, we're still going to go there. We're going to have fun. We're going to take USC as if they were Iowa. Um because I think we both have something to prove. Um, so it, it'll be fun. It'll be very interesting. All right, so the, for the fans that have not seen Sydney Cooks play, describe your game a little bit in a couple sentences. Um, I would say I'm kind of like a Atlanta Deladon. I can shoot. Um, I shoot a lot to be 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and I have a variety of post moves. Yeah, I handle the ball when I can, but... Um, just a versatile player. I try to and be the happy and goofy one on the team. So you probably see me laughing and smiling. I've heard a lot of rumors that you're the first <laughs> back-to-the-basket post player that the Pirates has had in a long time. Are we going to see a little bit of that, too, a little mean streak in yes, the post, too? Yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. <laughs> All right, Sydney, so before we let our guests go, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five rapid-fire questions. We want five rapid-fire answers. Don't think about it too much. Got kind of first thing that comes to your head, fire it back out. All right. Are you ready? Yep. All right. Question number one. Most points scored in any game at any level? 42. Toughest road environment you've ever played in? Indiana. What do you enjoy more, dominating your opponent with buckets or putting up double-digit rebounds? Uh, rebounds. Favorite WNBA player of all time? Candace Parker. Best Seton Hall player you've ever seen play, men's or women's? Shakina. Bonus question. You got two years of academic eligibility remaining. Should the Pirate fans expect to see you in blue again for the 2022-2023 season? Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you for your time. Thank you. <laughs> you've officially walked the plank. Sydney, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for giving us a couple minutes uh, on Left Coast Pirates, and we wish you the best of luck. Uh, throughout the rest of the season and your time here at Seton Hall. Thank you. Thank you. Mike, that is the last time I let you put your grubby little fingers on anything technological. What were you doing? Breathing heavy into that microphone? No, they were still running like they were cleaning up after the practice. The managers were running back and forth. The microphone was sitting right there. The phone was sitting right there on the table. Sydney was professional. She was, she was positive. She was joyful. We were interacting. I played it back for like five seconds to see if we have good audio. I don't know what you want me to do. Hey, hey, but all seriousness, how great was Sydney Cooks and her answers, man? She seems like she's an old pro at this. No, she's also like excited to be here. I mean, she wants to be a pirate. I know she's transitioned a couple times throughout her collegiate career so far, but I think she's found a destination where she's embraced by her teammates. She's embraced by the coaching staff. She really is an integral piece for this team's success. I know they've gotten off to a couple, uh, you know, tough losses early in the season. You know, they didn't come out victorious uh, in that opening game down in Cancun versus USC. But if they kind of get clicking on all cylinders and you got, you know, Lauren Park Lane, Maya Jackson, 
Andre Espinosa Hunter, and now you put a 6-4 giant in the middle. She is a presence and can step out and shoot the three. They could be a pretty dynamic team. They just got to figure out how to put all the pieces together. And, you know, just like the men's team is starting to realize, they got to work out the kinks a little bit. But I'm I'm optimistic about what that women's team could still do by the end of the season. Well, you got to talk to Sydney uh, that afternoon right before the men's tipped off in Fort Myers. So let's go to that recap. Ohio State 79, Seton Hall 76. The highly anticipated game started back and forth with early ties and lead changes until Seton Hall started to exert its defensive pressure. The Pirates built a five-point lead 24-19 after Miles Kale picked off a Buckeyes pass and converted a fast-break layup on the other end. And then the weirdness started. Miles Kale came down in pain, and the lights went out in the arena, causing a delay in the game. Coming out of the delay and missing Miles Kale's defensive presence, the Buckeyes quickly took advantage of a 9 0 run, giving them a 28 24 advantage, which eventually ballooned to a 19 4 run. The Buckeyes stretched a lead as large as 10 late before the Pirates rallied back and cut the deficit down to 40-35. to The second half didn't start well for the Pirates as Ohio State increased its lead to 12, but the Pirates fought back with a 12-2 run of their own that got them within a deuce 63-61 with under 8 minutes to go. The Pirates never seemed to be able to go over the hump as the Buckeyes would keep the lead, building it as high as 5 with 5.34 left in regulation. But the Pirates buckled down on defense and made some key shots and free throws that gave them a chance to win at the end. Jameer Harris stole a cross-court pass and converted a fast-break layup that tied the game at 76 with 14 seconds to go. However, on the next possession, Ohio State's Michi Johnson Jr. hit a go-ahead three-pointer that gave the Buckeyes a 79-76 lead with two seconds left, and that proved to be the game winner. That is the last time I let you write the notes for the game recap. Are you done with your dissertation on that game? There was Holy a lot moly. of stuff that happened, Michael. You got to give the complete story. Let me show you how it's done. Stats on this one. Jared Roden, 29 points, 8 of 15 from the floor and 11 13 from the free throw lines. He threw in five rebounds and played a team high 34 minutes. Bryce Aiken, 30 minutes off the bench, 16 points on 5 of 10 from the floor. But the real story in this game was EJ Liddell. The Pirates could not stop the Ohio State big man who put in 28 points on 8 of 17 from the floor and a perfect 10 for 10 from the line, in addition to six rebounds. Justin Orange, sharpshooter for the Buckeyes, 17 points on 5 of 8 from the three-point line. Team stats, three-point shooting was the story in this one. Ohio State, 11 of 22 for 50%. Seton Hall, only 5 of 23 for just under 22 Seton Hall did hold the rebounding advantage at plus five in this one, dominating the offensive boards with a total of 14. Free throw shooting was solid on both sides. Ohio State, 22-25 for 88%, and the Hall hung with them, 23-27 for 85%. The turnovers were at a minimum. Ohio State, 10. Seton Hall, 8. 
and the turning point. I think you already kind of alluded to it, Tom. Miles Kale hurts his groin after finishing on the fast break, and it put the Pirates up 24 to 19. Then the lights went out, halting play. And when the lights came back on, Ohio State went on a 19 to 4 run. I, I the, the Hall just really never recovered. I mean, the, I know they fought back. I know they got the game tied, but they never got over the hump and and got a chance to play with the lead in this one uh, from that point in the game going forward. I'll tell you what, we went at a good Ohio State team, got down early, but still fought back. And, and that team resilience really showed we've done that now against Michigan we did it against Ohio State this is not one of those teams that's just gonna fall off and and, and just kind of wilt like a flower I don't think any of Kevin Willard's teams have really had that kind of MO where they would kind of fade I mean we've had a couple games right you had that game at Nova where they got run out of the building on National Watch Day right but but you don't have too many games where Seton Hall takes it on the chin. I know we belabored the Creighton game last year, but outside of that Nova game, outside of that Creighton game, you know, the Hall tends to kind of dig in there, fight back, you know, and play till the final whistle. And they did that in both of these games against powerhouse opponents being Michigan and then the Ohio State game. Uh, But it was because of Jared Roden. And and they're going to have to lean on Jared Roden to be this guy. I thought it was going to be more of a balanced attack throughout the year. And so far, we've been proved wrong. Jared has become the alpha. And I'm wondering if he's going to be the guy we highlight, like we did Sandro, over and over again when we do these recaps. I didn't think he was going to be putting in 29 on a given night this year against a major opponent. Did you? Well, I kind of go back to our season preview, Mike, where we played a little clip from Brad Cavallaro from the College Basketball Central podcast where he questioned whether Jared Roden is truly going to be that guy that you feel comfortable with going for that basket. Mike, Jared was getting anything he wanted in that game. He was getting to the basket. He was getting to the free throw line. His mid-range jumper as always was good. Yes, I told you, he can get his spot, and he's he's taking it to that next level, Michael. Well, we knew he could get his pull-up jump shot. I mean, you don't have to tell me that Jerry can get his pull-up mid-range. He got that all last year whenever he wanted it. What he's doing now is he's getting to the free throw line, and he's shooting it at a very high percentage. So, I mean, that's the, the element of his game that he's stepping up. He's got that quick first step, and instead of just settling for the mid-range, he's taking it all the way to the basket. He's finishing, and he's getting to the line in the, those circumstances when he doesn't. That's where he's kind of elevating his game. It's all the superstars do it. Look at James Harden in the NBA. You're like, wow, James had a quiet game tonight. And then you look up and he made 14 free throws and somehow finished with like 28. That's kind of where Roden's been so far. He's making his hay at the charity stripe. Just but, keep, going, get, keep going to that rim, Mike. But, but before you jump in, Mike, let me tell you something. Did I hear correctly? Did you say the turning point of the game was Miles Kale getting injured? Your favorite whipping boy? The guy you said has going to be put on the bench for the last two seasons? Him going down was the turning point of the game? I don't believe it, Mike. I thought I, your I, boy was going to come in and step in and show everybody who should be starting, Mike. What's going on? 
Now, I didn't say that. I didn't say Miles leaving the game is why they lost. I just happened to say at that moment is when the lights went out after he had that breakaway bucket. But yes, Ohio State shot outstanding from behind the the three-point line in this one. And I feel that if Miles Kale would have been healthy throughout the entirety of that game, Ohio State probably doesn't go 50% from deep. I, I think that's fair to say. Having Aiken and Harris on the floor at times while Kadari struggled, you had a undersized backcourt that I think allowed Ohio State to get some of the looks a little more easily than what Kale would have afforded them. Uh, so, yes, I, I will throw Miles a bone, and we hope Miles comes back healthier sooner than later. Uh, he, he could be out and definitely maybe have his, his leg amputated, as you, you were joking with me offline. But uh, I, Miles does make a difference on the defensive end. And he was missed. Are you, are you gonna you gonna tell me that was your sour grapes and gripes? You gonna lead off with Miles Kell injury? Boo hoo! Miles got hurt. Hey, you know what? I'm just gonna point out that Adam Jardy of the Columbus Dispatch said the X factor might have to be Justin Orange shooting that three. He said that Justin really needs to find that shot. And without Miles Kale on the floor potentially blanketing him. He found an easier way to get that ball up, and he scored 17 big points. Can, can we just pay attention to the damn scouting report? They, they got one guy who's a lights-out shooter, one guy who needs to get it going, and we let him go off for five of eight from the three-point range? And then on top of that, we can't we can't hold back and take quality shots ourselves? Tom, five of 23 from behind the line. I'm sorry, that's not going to get it done. There was a lot of bad looks from like way beyond the line, a lot of shots off the dribble. Look, a shot off the dribble is a low percentage shot typically in the college game. It's just not an easy shot to develop and shoot at a high percentage. Now we're shooting three-pointers off the dribble? We're fading into the corner? I'm okay shooting the three-pointer if it comes within the flow of the offense, if we take high-quality percentage threes. Of those 23 attempts, how many would you say were quality attempts? It's a low amount, Michael, but you know, and this kind of goes into our next point, Mike. How many times did we go down the floor and either whoever brought the ball up took immediate and an immediate shot or did one pass, the guy who caught the ball, dribble, 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 then throws up a three. This lack of ball movement is causing us not to get assists and get that offense flowing. Way to connect the dots there. You you dribble down, you shoot it all by yourself. We don't get an assist. Okay, thanks there, Tom. Hey, hey, I know my (laughs) basketball like you know your basketball, Mike. I knew that Ike would have to play tough against that All-American center. I know that you can't get an assist if you're just shooting the ball. Before assists, it's pound, 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 isolation, one-on-one, hero ball, step-back jumpers, you're not collapsing the defense. You're not commanding double teams. There's no movement off the ball. Everybody's standing around watching. We're not screening away from the ball. The only time that there's a screen is when Ike comes to set the high pick and roll offense. And I'm sorry, we said this over and over again early in the season. Ike is not a threat to roll. So if he's not a threat to roll, both guys are going to hedge against the, the, the dribbler in the pick and roll scenario. It bogs down the offense even more. It pushes the offense back several feet behind the three-point line, and you're scrambling for a shot you know, late in that possession over and over again. I am not surprised that there were only four assists in this game. Ohio State did not turn the ball over to let you get out in transition, so there wasn't fast break opportunities to up the assist total. But it wasn't just this game. We're going to see that assist total rear its ugly head in you know, the, the next game as well. 
So I, I'm just concerned that the lack of offensive sets is not just the chemistry of the new guys. I mean, you had a whole summer to practice. You, you couldn't come up with a couple go-to sets to get an easy shot from time to time? That's a good point right there, Mike. It's not like we're not executing an offense. I'm wondering if there's anything to execute here, Mike. I mean, it just seems like we've got that high pick and roll or nothing else is going on. So so let me say this. We're, we're going to go pick on the transfers again because all three of them, Harris, Yetna, and, and Kadari had, had rough games in this one. But when we had Miles Powell, and I'm not trying to say that Jameer Harris is Miles Powell. You did but you before, said, Mike. You did Miles before. Powell light. Miles Powell light. Oh, it's light. You, okay. Very light right now. I don't even know that that's even being generous. But you've told me over and over again that when Harris has his feet set, you like his shot. You Absolutely. feel like that shot's money. Think okay, so we used to run a lot of these double down stagger screens for Miles Powell to get him open looks. Can we run that for Harris? Yeah, I don't know. You know, a lot of things have been said out there where, oh, we haven't had enough time. It's a month into the season, Mike. Enough of this nonsense about we haven't had practice time. We haven't had this. We should be getting more out of Jameer Harris and, 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 and Alexis Yetna, who are not guys that are new to basketball. Both are, both are seniors and or grad students, but Jameer Harris was two of 10, one from five behind a three-point line, and most of them are rushed deep threes. Just stuff. What are you doing? Stop. That's just bad decisions at that point, Mike. If you're that far out, pass it off. Get something moving. Uh, no, I, I, I can't disagree with that. I, I was watching the game with some with some other people that were you know more novice Seton Hall fans, and I think Aiken came across and shot it from the logo. And this is young high school kid going, he shot it from the logo! He shot it from the logo! What's he doing? And I'm sitting there going, yeah, what's he doing? But Harris has been taking that kind of shot. There, there's no reason to come down on a fast break and stop and pop from 35 feet. That, that's got to st- There are certain shots that, in my, in my opinion, need to be reeled back in. Alexis Yetna, in his 21 minutes, two points, three rebounds. He's got to get his ass on the block. Well, I mean, I know he has the ability to shoot the open three, but he's looking for the open three. There's a difference. He's trying to force that shot or hunt that shot. If Alexis gets the ball in the short corner and the offense is swinging the ball around and Ike is clogging up the middle and someone drives baseline and swings it across, I'll take that. You want him shooting 27 feet straight on? I don't. No, I want, that, beast, seen so far. I want that beast down low. I mean, just him dragging his butt out to the three-point line is keeping him from grabbing those eight rebounds a game both you and I thought he was going to get. But the scariest portion of this whole thing is Kadari's struggles. I mean, he's having a hard time even staying on the floor. 17 minutes, four fouls, one of seven of for the game with two total points. I mean... You know, coming out the gate, he actually looked pretty good. He hit his first jumper. He had a nice little assist early, and that was it. The last 38 minutes of the game was trash. So are you going to give me some credit now? At the beginning of the season, I said trick. 
I didn't say it was going to be bad this year. No, the trick, I just said, no, the trick was about being NBA ready. Mike, he's right. not Big East ready right now. Uh, that's that's what I'm getting there right now is once again, the hype train, the pressure, the expectations. Is he pressing? I don't know. I mean, that could be part of it. I, I'm tired of hearing Kevin say, oh, he's not comfortable with the ball in his hands yet. Seriously? You recruited him out of high school to be a point guard. When, when you were recruiting him before he committed to Syracuse, was he not going to come to Seton Hall and have the ball in his hands? Were you going to introduce him to a basketball the first time he came on Seton Hall's campus if he committed to Seton Hall? I, I don't get that. But hey. what is – hang on. What, what, what bothers me is his transition on defense. Really, really solid in the, in the zone. A lot of arm, you know, wingspan to kind of jump passing lanes. And you're seeing that in the way he kind of – tries to kind of get that steal and go coast to coast, how he jumps those passing lanes. He's not moving his feet to stay in front of the defender one-on-one, though. That's concerning. And, and it goes against everything we heard from all these pundits who are watching these preseason practices, talking about how well he was zipping the ball in and how comfortable he looked and how athletic he looked. Dude, Show me it in the game, because so far it's been real. It's been a real struggle. And yes, if he's if he's having a hard time, I think he's the kind of kid that needs more minutes. I think you got to keep him out there. But for those four fouls, I get it. He's get he gets he gets into foul trouble. You got to pull him. But I think he needs to get more time on the court to get more comfortable. I, I don't disagree with that. But these were big time moments in the Michigan game and the Ohio State game. And you had to try to go for the win. So Bryce played big minutes in both of those contests down the stretch just to kind of steady the ship. I mean, Bryce wasn't passing the ball either, but at least Bryce was a steadying presence with the ball in his hands. The fallout from this, the biggest sour grape and gripe, and I was saying it in the last episode, is if you didn't win the Ohio State game. And and they fought valiantly, and the guy hits a 29-footer, you know, it is what it is. Tip your cap to the, the player from Ohio State. I was I'm OK with him taking that shot. He was one of four before he, he hit that prayer. But the fallout when you lose. You're, you're now in the consolation side of that bracket. The mindset for the team going into Thanksgiving is like, do I even want to be here now? And you don't get the the coveted Florida matchup. You got that letdown of an opponent in California. And Tom. I thought there was a trickle over effect into the next game. And if you saw the final game against between Ohio State and Florida, where Florida basically winged up a prayer to win that game, I'll tell you what, we would have matched up well against Florida. However, Seton Hall 62, California 59. The opening minutes reflected good flow both ways as California led 11 to 10 after five minutes. Then the play got ugly, but the Pirates held a 21-13 lead 12 minutes into the game. Cal answered with a 10-2 run to tie it at 23 before the Hall took a narrow 27-25 lead into the break. It looked like Seton Hall might create some separation as they opened up another seven-point lead four minutes into the second half. 
But two Jalen Celestine three-pointers helped spark a 15-2 run that flipped the score 44-38 in favor of the Bears with 9-15 left to play. The game would feature many runs by each team down the stretch, with the Hall finally taking the lead 57-56 on a Bryce Aiken three-pointer with 2.43 left to play. With 104 left to play, Alexis Yetna would make one of two free throws to push the Pirates back ahead by one before Grant Dentasevich missed an open jumper to seal the victory. Much better, clear, concise. Oh, whatever. I'm sorry. You and your narratives. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. The box score on this game. Uh, Jared Roden, once again, leading the way for the Pirates. 21 points, only on 4 of 13 from the floor, but he got back to the line again, 12 of 15. He also added seven rebounds and three steals on the evening. Kadari Richmond bounced back, 12 points, three rebounds. Alexis Yedna had a better game, 10 points. Seven boards. On the other side, Andre Kelly could not be stopped. 23 points, 11 rebounds, 7 of 8 from the floor, a perfect 9 of 9 from the free throw line. The Hall had no answers for the big man in the paint, and there was a point in the game where they didn't have an answer for Grant Antisevich either. After a cold start, he rebounded for 15 points, 7 rebounds, and had the game-winner rim out. On the team stats... Seton Hall, Tom, 34%, 17 of 50, 22% from three-point range, four of 18. Only saving grace was they got to the line 30 times and put in 80% of them. Five assists. Four assists last game, five assists this game, but only six turnovers. We'll talk about that in a moment. But nine steals was a saving grace. It led to 16 fast break points ones that the Pirates desperately needed. Tom, the turning point, I wasn't even watching this game. I, as, as you know, I was dealing with the in-laws for Thanksgiving. I could not get to the television. I'm following along on my phone. And then all of a sudden I call you and I'm like, what's going on? Is it that bad? And you're like, well, and we're talking about the game. And at that point, I thought the Pirates were up by two. And then you're like, no, no, it's not, they're, they're not up two anymore. Nope. What are you talking about? You're supposed to be giving me updates. I'm calling you to get updates. And all of a sudden, the Pirates are now trailing 56-51 with four minutes to play. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, disaster was unfolding. I almost drove the car off the road trying to get ice cream with my son. And then Roden and Aiken got to the line. And then Aiken hit that clutch three for a little mini 7-0 run to put the Pirates back in front. 57-56 before it kind of played out with the little back and forth down the stretch, but they would have lost, right? If they don't hit those couple buckets, Aiken doesn't hit that dagger three out of nowhere, they, they probably lose this game. Now, now, Mike, you know, we are often critical with Coach Willard in these kind of situations, but I'm here to tell you, Mike, this is obviously not Kevin's fault this time. This is, you know whose fault this is, Mike? This is our fault. This is Left Coast Pirates' fault for not reviewing them in the tip-off preview, Mike. I mean, how else 
would the team have realized that Andre Kelly, six foot eight, was their best player? I mean, the guy's only averaging 15 and seven and shooting 63% from the floor going into this game, Mike. And when you see a guy who's scoring 63% from the floor, what do you immediately think, Mike? Is this guy going to be taking you out to the three-point line? No, Tommy, I'm, I'm not going to let you do this. I, I'm not going to play this game. I am not taking accountability for LCP not doing the proper scouting report on the previous episode. This team lost to University of California, San Diego. They had to pull it out in double overtime against Southern Utah. I'm sorry, Tom. They, they could barely hold on against University of San Diego on their home floor by five. No, no. we're fans. We are fans. We are allowed to look ahead and want to play Florida. We should want to win the championship and not want the bad Ken Palm, you know, uh, metrics on the resume. It's not my job to scout Cal. It is absolutely Kevin Willard's job and the staff's responsibility to know that if they were to lose the Ohio State game, there was probably a 95% chance they were playing Cal. Look, a couple summers ago, we interviewed Bruce Hamburger. And what did we ask him? Hey, when you go to the NCAA tournament, you're the X's and O's guy. How do you do all the scouting from that, like Thursday to Saturday or Friday to Sunday? You know, you got three teams once they announce the brackets. How does that all play out? And he gave us this elaborate breakdown of he's in the film room and boom, he's got three scouting reports within 48 hours. They had no clue. That's like they had no idea who Kelly was. They had no idea that Anta Savage was the guy who was going to be shooting from 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 the from the perimeter to beat you. They, they looked clueless when I went back and watched the film and how they prepared in the first couple of minutes of that game. They're not ready to play. Now I understand there's the emotional letdown of not winning the night before, but she got to get the boys ready to play. All right, so a little tongue-in-cheek there, Mike. All right, all right, all right. Let's put on our blue-tinted glasses before we really get into sour grapes and gripes. But, hey, the team mounted another comeback. They could have taken it. They could have been depressed. They could have been down. But they fought back against a less talented Cal team, and they made it all the way through. I can't believe we're putting. They came back again. This is this is gonna be this is gonna be the recurring theme. We get down by ten and then we start to turn it on. Okay, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you the resiliency. I'm I'm okay with that. Okay, if you're not appreciating that. You're really not gonna appreciating this. We had some signs of life from Alexis Yetna. He went ten and seven, even though he only went two of eight from the field, including a one of five from the three point line. But he did make five or six free throws, and he kind of clinched it at the end of the game. I'm, I'm just going to be the grump. I'm going to be such a grump on this episode. Ike had zero rebounds. Somebody had to grab a rebound. The ball had to land in someone's hands. I, 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 once again, nice stat line with the 10 and 7. Did it feel like an impactful 10 and 7, though? No, I mean, he did make his free throw, so you got to be happy about that. But it's, it's better than it's better than two points and three rebounds. Yeah, it's it's incremental growth. Uh, if he's Signs giving me 10 of and, life. Signs oh, of life. Oh, here we go. And, and the D was solid, right? You know, we, we held a crappy shooting team to crappy numbers. Great. You know, not nine steals. Okay, good, good job. Four more shot clock violations. That's what I was impressed by. No more tongue-in-cheek on that. Four shot clock violations in one ball game. 
that's a lot. So th- this has been an MO of the team so far early in the season is holding teams to bad shots later, not even letting them get a shot off. So all joking aside, I'll give them a lot of credit here for the four shot clock violations. It's becoming a repetitive theme in, in a good way for, the, for their defense. But truly, what won this game was the performance from the charity stripe, Michael. 24 of 30 for 80%. You know, if this team continues that, these rock fights are going to come out on our side more often than not. It's, it's a pleasant surprise. I mean, we've watched many seasons, probably almost like a, a solid four or five in a row where this is an Achilles heel for this team. Outside of a couple guys, you know, getting the right guys to the free throw line late. Everyone's hitting their free throws. Hey, I haven't looked up Tyrese's number. What do you got for me on Tyrese's free throw shooting? He's not shooting 30% this year, right? Tyrese looks good. I know you're not a big fan of his. I'm not trying to pick it up. I'm just saying the team's Third right. leading scorer, Mike. Second leading rebounder for the season so far. That's your boy uh, uh, Tyrese. None of this. What, what, what if could have been ifs, ands, or buts. I'm going to start backing out the FDU numbers and see where those numbers line up. But, but anyway, here. Uh, I was just trying to be silly and say, hey, guys are making their free throws, even guys that you don't expect, right? You know, Ike's been respectable. Tyrese has been respectable. This team is going to have to get to the line to win games if it's going to be a lot of isolation one-on-one basketball, if the three ball's not going down. They better make their free throws. Otherwise, they would have been in big trouble if they didn't make those charity stripe attempts in this game. Okay. In all seriousness, Mike, I'm going to make something that's going to make you smile because – Definitely in this game, we saw something that made us say, whoa, did you see that? During the Cal game, uh, Kadari Richmond goes for a steal, jumps a passing lane, is falling out of bounds, puts the ball behind his back right into Bryce Aiken's hands. Bryce Aiken leads the break, puts a little pass over the top for Tyrese to dunk. Come on. That had to have made you smile a little bit on the replay. As soon as I saw it, I was like, hands down, no question asked. This is going to be the, whoa, did you see that moment for the week? But I guess the broadcast crew also kind of felt the same way because we're, what, eight minutes into the ball game, And that was the play of the game. That was it. No chance that a more spectacular play could happen later on. You know, maybe save that in your back pocket, whip it out with four minutes to go if nothing else has happened. But no, they were like, this is a snooze fest. This is Cal Seton Hall. This is the best we're going to get. We're going to whip out the play of the game at the eight minute mark. And then they proceed to show it to you like 15 times between then and coming out of the half. They were like, we got nothing. This, This is trash. Just keep on showing that play over and over again. We can get that in like nine more times. This was like the Joe Theismann broken leg scene from Monday Night Football when we were kids. But you really know, cool, really cool, really cool play though, right? I mean, it showed I, it, it was, showed the athleticism it, that Kadari has, right? We say this all the time that the "whoa, did you see that moment?" normally kind of highlights the potential or the athleticism where you're like, "Wow, that's the guy has that in his skill set." I just want to see more of it. That's kind of like Tyrese is normally all over these things. We're like, wow, we can see that from Tyrese more often. I kind of want to see that more from Kadari. Uh, You know, it's funny because we just went through the blue tinted glasses and everything was relatively tongue in cheek. And and I'm telling you, it's because Cal is a bad basketball team. This is the worst. They're the worst. Hang on. They're the worst power six basketball team 
you know, in, in Division One. Do you want to make an argument that they're worse than DePaul? Is that possible? Oh, I think they're definitely worse than DePaul at this point. So, so you want to try to take positive signs out of this game, man. Eh? It has to be tongue-in-cheek. You should have ran this team off the court by 20. You should have kind of, you know, wiped away the stench of that unfortunate loss a couple nights before and kind of got out of Florida on a positive. And you left with a rap sheet of sour grapes and grapes, Tom. I mean, I, I, uh, let's just let's just go through them and get them over with. Start with the, the starting lineup. You come out of a game where you lose basically on a luck three-pointer. I mean, the kid, Michi Johnson Jr., was three feet, four feet behind the three-point line, was not shooting well for the game, and tosses up a three that goes in with 2.8 seconds left. You almost kind of come out of that game going, ah, you know, what can you do with that? But Willard looks at this, and he gets too cute. Okay, you look at the starting lineup. You need to replace Miles Kale because he's injured. But what the heck was going on with the rest of it? You you sit Ike? The best player on Cal is a banger? A guy that wants to post? And you sit the 7-2 monster down? And no, no, then, the guy, the guy could, the guy could hit a fifteen footer. So this, this all of a sudden equates to crazy. But he wasn't hitting fifteen footers to start the game, Mike. He got into a rhythm. He got his confidence up, and then he's shooting those fifteen footers. And if you look at the second half of the game, Mike, where they put Ike back out to start, the kid goes one for two for the second half. I'm not trying to pick on Jahari Long either, but Jahari gets the start, you know, in place of Miles Kale. And Kadari gets sent to the bench. So I know Kadari struggled and he did not get the majority of minutes in the second half of both the Michigan game nor the Ohio State game. But I don't like messing with this kid's psyche. So so tell me you want to kind of ease him into it a little bit more. Put him out there with price. I'm Fig- gonna, figure out no. I'm not even I, thinking that could you want to sit Kadari. For not playing well in the first five games of the season. Okay, I can see that happening. But how does Jameer Harris not step up and start that game? Not that Jameer Harris is playing all that spectacular so far. But that's how it normally runs, doesn't it, Mike? The no, next I, guy I, back I, gets the start. Yeah, I don't like the defensive combination of both Aiken and Harris starting that game. So if he's going to play Aiken at the point, and put the Kadari on the bench for the first five minutes to ease him into the flow. I, I don't like the Mike, shorter backcourt. This is Cal. Uh, this is an awful team. Or better yet, if you're going to tinker with the lineup and you think Jahari can bring, you know, positives to the team and, and be good enough to start, he played the first five minutes. He didn't play the rest of the game. No, that's just trash. And the way they explained it earlier in the game was, oh, Jahari's been playing really well in practice. Why didn't he play against Michigan and Ohio State at all? I'm all for getting Jahari some minutes, but this just seems like I'm sending a message. No, I'm I'm not doing that. We're not going to tangent on Jahari Long. He's not the storyline in this game. I mean, I'm okay. I'm okay with Tyrese getting some minutes. I'm okay with with the guys who actually played, but you're you're off at your lineup. You're too. You're being too cute, Mike. You're too cute for your own good. You're thinking you're this chiropractor that you're making all these adjustments. It's nonsense. 
Uh, I, I was just grumpy across the board. The, the refs were bad in this game. We did not lose because of the refs. I just want a well-call game. I mean, there was a handful of plays where you're like, are you serious? You got the backcourt violation in the first half where there was it tipped. Was it not tipped? Uh, let, let's just, let's just change the call. We're not allowed to go to replay. Where, where, where are they getting the look? Does somebody, the, the call was changed. You know, they, they reset the shot clock late in the game when I got possession of a loose ball, but he really didn't get possession of a loose ball. It was bobbling. And then he grabs it with his foot on the line. And at that point, he blows the whistle and the ref goes, oh, no, 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 his foot's on the line, ball back to Cal. If he doesn't get possession of the ball, Cal should get it back with what was left on the shot clock at that time, which only would have been a couple seconds. Or the ref has to definitively say, no, he gained possession, his foot's on the line, 30-second shot clock back to Cal. They reset it to 20 as if the ball hit the rim. They're just making up the rules. I got a problem with that. You know, Antisevich is pushing off, clearly pushing off to get his jump shot. You know, Ike is getting ticky-tack fouls on the other side. Kadari has the offensive foul at the end of the game. I, I know you think that was questionable, but it means swallow the whistle at that point. And then can you explain to me the lane violation on Cal? The ref was taking a nap. The other guy hands him the ball. He clanks it off the rim, and he's the first guy to go get it. And on replay, he hadn't left the, the line yet. I mean, it didn't matter anyway, but still, come on. I, I, I bad, think the ref was game. so surprised in that situation that nobody off the foul line or, or nobody off the lineup moved. You've got one job in there. You know they're going to miss that shot on purpose because there's no point in making it. you got to crash the boards immediately when that stuff happens. So, I, I mean, it was just... But you know what? The, the the refs' whistles were bad both ways, so that didn't bother me as oh, much. Oh, no, no, no. Not, not, not a Seton Hall could have lost this game because of the refs. It's just sloppy. It, it, it was a it microcosm was of the entire game, right? The teams were playing sloppy. The refs were sloppy. And the offense was sloppy, Tom. It didn't change. It was You were supposed to be resetting and kind of working on things in this ball game against Cal. You know, take advantage of the weaker opponent. So we highlighted the four assists in the first game. And what happens? You come back and you double down. Five assists. Tom, the isolation one-on-one is out of control. The, the bad shot selection is out of control. And now it's going to lead to these historical scoring droughts coming back and rearing their ugly head. There were two instances in this game. There was a stretch to end the first half where they had no field goals for eight minutes and 17 seconds, minus a couple trips to the free throw line. And then in the second half, they had a four minute and 19 second scoring drought that once again, allowed Cal to push the lead out. That can't happen. It just, it can't happen. Once you get into league play, when you start playing this, gauntlet against Texas, Rutgers, and Iona, you're going to lose those games if you don't put the ball in the basket for a stretch of 12 minutes throughout the ball game. It just You're going to lose. Mike, it was the same song, different tune. This is what it's going to look like when shots don't fall. Luckily, in the Michigan game and the Ohio State game, you were having a greater percentage of shots going in on this kind of hero ball nonsense offense that you're running. But this is what happens when the shots don't go in, is that you're having these horrific droughts of scoring. But you know what, Mike? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you here. You know who this is hurting the most? It's hurting Jameer Harris the most. 
You wanted him to be this guy that comes in and becomes this three-point specialist. And you wanted him to get those open shots and take them. And I told you, it was going to be harder to get those open shots against a power six competition than it is otherwise. But we're doing him no favors by not actually running an offense that actually can highlight what is his strength. His strength is catching that ball in rhythm and shooting that jumper from a good spot. I mean, he is not what his stat line said from this game. He was 0-4, 0-2 from three with two turnovers. He's a better player than that. And the lack of offensive cohesion is going to hurt him the most. It's the lack of point guard play. It's, it's a, we're beating the drum again. It's point guard. It's point guard play. Bryce is a shoot first, you know, lead guard. And Kadari has not found his stride yet. This is the same problem we've had year after year. There is no point guard penetrating, breaking down the defense, and then looking to pass whether it's a dish to the big guys, whether it's a kick out for the open three. I really thought that Kadari and Aiken combined, maybe a Ryan Conway, which doesn't look like it's going to happen now, but these super quick athletic guards were going to force the defense to collapse, and we were going to get Kale, Harris, and Roden less contested jumpers. I not Nothing to do with the competition of play. Yeah, yeah, I no, guess. No, it yes, definitely has to do with competition to play. It's not as easy getting open shots. But, Mike, this isn't just the point guards. No one's a willing passer on this team right now, Mike. We used to have bigs that would pass the ball. We'd have wings that pass the ball. No one's passing here. Where, where, where do you want the bigs to get it to pass from? They, they don't, they're, not, they're not sending the ball into the post to go inside out type offense if you're telling me the ball goes into Tyrese or the ball goes into Jackson and everything is three dribbles and a shot without looking to kick it out fine but is that really happening I I I don't know Tom the sloppiness just kind of cascaded across the entire spectrum of this ball game you know the 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 players the refs the coaches of course of course the people in the broadcast crew were not going to be immune to the sloppiness of this game. So I'm, I'm going to start picking on Brandon Gordon here. Brandon Gordon is doing the, the play-by-play for the Cal game, and he's reviewing the starting lineup with all the changes that Willard made, and he says, yet that gets in there for Obiagu. No, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Yet they started every game of the season. If, if you got to know that if Willard's changing the lineup, someone's got to throw me the accurate stats to be like, here's what he's changed. Here, here's who he's in for. Nope, totally screws it up. But as you like to say, he doubled down again in the second half. He says Yedda is getting extended minutes in this game and highlights the fact that it's his first start of the season. Come on, man. Is this another intern issue? No, this can't be an intern issue. This has just got to be someone who didn't care enough to review the notes before the game. But Mike... I'm going to do you one better. You know who had a worse week than Brandon Gordon, Mike? 
We did. The Left Coast Pirates did, Mike, because last week during the podcast, we continuously called the Fort Myers tip-off the Fort Myers Classic. All podcasts alone, and we're better than that, Mike. I know everything's called a classic this, the wooden classic, you know, whatever else classic, but we need to know the name of the tournament that we're playing. I should have known better. Whenever there's Cal in a tournament, there's nothing classic about the tournament. <laughs> but we had a second turnover, Mike. We also totally missed that Seton Hall was going to play a third game this week against Bethune-Cookman. We didn't what? even mention it in our preview. What the heck is going on with these Sunday 9 o'clock games on the West Coast, man? And noon starts on a Sunday. It's football, Tommy. Who is doing the scheduling for the Pirates? I don't know. Maybe the Devils had a game at the Rock the night before. However, Seton Hall 84, Bethune-Cookman 70. The less said about this game, the better. The Pirates attempted to create separation early, building three separate eight-point margins in the first half. But the Wildcats hung tough and closed the half on a 9-0 run to have a surprising one-point lead at half. Kevin Willard mixed up his lineup to start the second half, and lo and behold, the chiropractor's adjustments were working. Seton Hall finally put it all together with a 23-3 run over a 7-minute, 30-second stretch before coasting to the final margin. That those chiropractic comments were not in the notes, by the way. Don't be ad libit on my notes, giving Kevin Willard props here. Mike, and your I'm notes sorry. are dull. Your notes are boring. I got to give it some flavor. And, and to be honest, if I wasn't going to give Cal the respect to do a preview, you really think I was going to go behind enemy lines to break down the fifth worst team in the Ken Palm in the country? Tom, this game should have been a get-healthy game. The stats should have been jumping off the page. Instead, we get Jared Roden, 18 points, 6 of 6 from the free throw line. Alexis Yetna, 14 points, 13 rebounds. Samuel Harris, a modest 11-point cheat off the bench. And Kadari Richmond in his breakout get-healthy game, 6 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, a little bit of everything, kind of. And then for the opponents, at least this hasn't happened a lot this year. We haven't had a guy go off for his career high yet until Joe French put in a big 30 points for Bethune-Cookman. On the team stats, the three-point shooting did not get better for the Hall. Seton Hall, 8 of 29, 27%. They did once again continue their hot streak from the free throw line, 95%. 20 of 21 and Bethune-Cookman only got there seven times. Hey, I give them credit. They made six out of seven, but the Hall made three times as many as they did. I mean, you're, you're just not going to win games on the road in that situation. 21 assists. Maybe the ship was righted, and the rebounding margin was plus 18 to the Pirates. Tom, easy one for the turning point this week. 12 minutes to go. The Pirates go on that 23-3 to run. And that was basically all she wrote. It really wasn't anything specific in the run. It was just a matter of us kind of finally putting our foot on the gas pedal and just kind of outplaying them from an athleticism perspective. I don't think anything changed after the first 28 minutes had gone by. 
you know, in that little stretch that, that kind of iced the game. Mike, like I said earlier, I think the less said about this game, the better. I don't know that we saw a whole lot of things that made us think, hey, the Pirates have worked things out. We hit another 20 of 21 from the free throw line, which is very nice. Means that we're doing, we've got a lot of concentration from there. It's not going to be an Achilles heel, hopefully. The ball seemed to move around a little better. We had 21 assists in this game, but but I, but, but did, did it, it look? But, but did it? Or was it? Or these kind of assists because we got out in transition against a you know a less athletic opponent. You know we dominated the glass at plus 18, so therefore we got some transition going. There was a lot of times that we passed the ball over the opponent's head because of our size advantage. I mean, did did we really have a a quality 21 assists? I, 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 it's hard not it's hard not to, to it's really hard to pick on 21 assists but it, it didn't feel like 21 assists did it here you want to pick on something that is almost uh not do you want to pick on something that's going to be in, make you go incredulous as well i had five more blocks so now he's got 21 blocks in six games but was that even impressive? Shouldn't he have at least yes, eight, nine yes. blocks? Today? No, no, no. I, I, blocking the shots that he blocks is, is absolutely impressive. I think after he gets this first five in a game, the other team's like, I'm not going in there. But I tries to block everything. I love it. Every, love they, it. Block they, come on, no, no. There, there was a guy taking an 18 foot jump shot, and Ike was four feet below the free throw line, and the guy is like midway up on his jump shot, and Ike is trying to come out to block that thing. Block He's not blocking shot, that shot. How about you turn around and grab one rebound? Tom, Tom, you had two consecutive games without a rebound. I, I love Ike. I love Ike's ability to block the basketball. But you can't be 7-2 and not get a rebound in back-to-back games. I got a buddy who was a pudgy, like, you know, 5-9 at my poker game back in the day. Oh, and he used to make fun of Eddie Curry. He, he used to be a Knicks, Knicks fan. I, 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 I'm doing my next thing here. And he used to sit there and pick on Eddie Curry and go, are you serious? Eddie Curry can't get you more than three rebounds in a game on a given night. He goes, I can have three rebounds fall on my lap. Ike is 7-2. 7-2. He's not getting her one rebound. I think the biggest uh, comedic moment of the game, Mike, was a, a block Ike had in the second half. I mean, he absolutely volleyball spiked the ball out of bounds and Jared Roden is in his face screaming yeah let's go and Ike's like yeah this is what I do I, I think <laughs> I, I Ike's role is what Ike's role is Ike's gonna play intimidator Ike's gonna block shots I don't know if you get anything else from Mike everything else from Ike is gravy right oh absolutely you get you get a couple dunks a game for mike creeping around that baseline i don't know how they didn't get him the ball more though mike there was one one play that left me it, it boggled my mind mike they had a six foot one defender trying to push ike out of the out of the post he was literally he's six one so he's a foot shorter than ike and he's crouched trying to get some leverage to push that big beast out of the post. They couldn't get the ball into Ike, Mike. Not that Ike is some some offensive savant in the post after he gets it, but don't you think you try to get him the ball with a six foot one guy on him? Mouse you, in you the do. house, Mike. Mouse you in do. the house. 
you do realize we were trying to do blue tinted glasses. You said, let's not spend more than two minutes on this game. And we just beat up on Ike for like the last three minutes. I love them. I love what Ike brings, but come on. I'm sorry. I I wanted this to be another get well type game. And Tom, when I looked up at the score at halftime and saw the hall trailing, I didn't know how to respond. Was it a carryover from the Cal game? Was it though, Mike? Are you? Is really it? Is it? Is it the over? early start? Is it the early start on Sunday? Is it the you know the the trip to fans still creeping in after Thanksgiving? Uh, is it? I I don't I don't know. Was it just not getting up for the opponent again? Or was what, it what was the reason? Getting those two fouls and having to sit for a little bit. You're telling me the rest of the team couldn't rally behind Jared Roden and maintain a margin against this team. I give the Wildcats all the credit in the world. They were hustling. They were scrapping. Reggie Theus, you know, obviously, you know, had them ready to play. But why? It's not like we were landing from Florida the, the night before, right? They landed early Thursday morning. They got to have their Thanksgiving. They had, what, a day or two to, to rest or practice in preparation for this game. And they came out completely lackluster i i don't think that that's acceptable and i and i really didn't know how kevin was going to respond to that in the post game the way he was responding in the post game the previous two for ohio state and cal so i think there's no better time to go to our favorite segment and now deep thoughts with kevin willard so, Mike, you know, you were wondering about what happened, why were they not playing well. And I'll tell you what, after the Cal game, there was a question during Gary Cohen and Dave Copkins' interview with Kevin Willard about what was going on with the offense and, and, and why the struggles. And Kevin had a few things to say about it. What was going wrong in your estimation before you were able to put on the Jets late? Well, we're, we're just, you know, offensively, we are, we're offensively challenged right now. We're, you know, we're trying to make things happen instead of letting things happen. And, um, you know, early in the game, we got the ball inside to Tyrese a couple times. We got the ball inside. Um, but then, you know, we just kind of, we get up five, we get up six. I thought we had some some early shots, some good shots early in the first half that if we had made, you know, you, we go in the halftime with a 10 to 11 point lead. And we just kind of, we missed, Jameer missed an open three, Bryce missed an open three. Um, and we're just, you know, we're, we're, and then we're trying to, you know, we're trying to do a little bit too much early, I think. That is the voice of a shook man, Michael. I look, I, I just thought you left them off the hook, man. There, there, there were there were comments in the Ohio State game that were not much better than that. You know, they were, uh, he doesn't have an answer right now. He's grasping at straws, offensively challenged. There was a quick quote in the Ohio State game where he made a comment about like, I got old guys. I got new guys. I don't know what to do. What? He doesn't have a game plan right now. And he doesn't know how to admit that it was it was fun to say we suck offensively when you beat Michigan to turn around, lose the Ohio State game to turn around and have a no show performance offensively against Cal. You can't joke and you say we suck offensively because guess what? You suck offensively. 
and well, and we're we're looking for more. I I, I don't know. Else. I I'm lost right now. I, I just want to point out one more time: we're a month into the season, Mike. I'm I'm tired of this stuff where I'm still working guys in in spots. We're a month into the season, so uh, you, you you mentioned that you thought that I let Kevin off the hook. Oh no, I didn't leave him off the hook. To belabor the point about the starting lineup, Gary and Dave asked him a question about it. I didn't start Ike. You know, I'm an idiot. I, you know, I didn't start Ike, and you know, of course, they go into the big kid. You know, he scores 12 in a row, and it's like, oh, that that was brilliant. So, I don't know. You know, trying to get Tyrese going a little bit. Yes, Mike, he's an idiot. The best player on Cal's team is their big bruising forward. So I'm going to take out my seven foot two giant. I got nothing to add. Kev- Kevin summed it up perfectly. You know, and, and finally, <laughs> Kevin had some quotes about their defensive play. Now, you know, in general, outside of the Ohio State game, we've been keeping are the opposing teams kind of at bay. And so there was a question about, you know, it seems like defensively things are clicking a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. You know, again, and really we gave up two threes off late clock breakdowns on, like that's where that's where not having a lot of practice has hurt us, is, you know, things that we didn't do the first three games, we did in these two games. And that's, uh, that's just not having practice. And that's a little bit of a slippage. So, uh, get home, have a good Thanksgiving. So you look like a defensive juggernaut in the first three games of the season. You have a quick two-day turnaround time from the Michigan game to the Ohio State game. That's Saturday to Monday. And in those 48 hours, they forgot how to play defense because there was no practice. Is that is that is that what I'm trying to decipher from what he just said? Is that accurate? You know, it's something of the sort, Mike. I mean, it, it it's just I I don't know where it goes with this because you spent the first five games, four games, really tightening up that three point defense, and I think they did real well. But that's what he points out that there was two slippages in that in that one Cal game. So it's it's kind of odd to poke those things. Hey, look, the slippage in the Cal game should have cost them the Cal game. I, I know you were debating this offline, but they've been switching all the ball screens. And when Antisevich took his final jump shot that rimmed out, there was a down screen uh, that completely wiped out Yetna. Right. And Tyrese was nowhere to be seen. He was in the paint. A solid four feet from the guy, or it should have been uh, Antisevich, he should have switched or he should have been up there kind of trying to help with that ball screen action. And Tyrese was just kind of lollygagging back in the paint, and Antisevich's shot just kind of you know spun out. He probably could have caught it and took his time, but he expected the defender to be right on his ass because uh, he, he did one of those like quick swivel and elevate right away, assuming the defender would be right there and and not get the opportunity. But he probably could have caught the ball, taken a dribble or two, got to the free throw line, and banged in a little 15-footer. Uh, that was a pretty big breakdown in a crucial moment. And to be honest, you know, Bryce probably needs to be out on his guy at the end of the Ohio State game. I understand that he hits a shot that's 29 feet, but with two seconds to go, 
where is he going with the ball at that point? No, I, I, you I, got you got a point, man. Tyrese got caught with his pants down. But Mike, Anthony Savage, if you watched his play, he's not dribbling to the 15 foot mark. He's taking that three. He might have taken a little deep breath on that shot, but that three was going up, Mike. I'm just saying he could have had a cup of coffee and got the shot up still. <laughs> I mean, Tyrese Tyrese did but, not go, uh-oh, I got to get out there. But in all honesty, that's a, that's a silly thing to complain about when you've defensively been very dominant over this first month of the season, no? I just, I you know what, maybe if we're going to talk about a li- uh, defensive lineups at that point, maybe I have Jackson in the game at that point. You know, I, I like the way Tyrese has played at times. But Tyrese has these defensive lapses. He's slow with his feet sometimes. I know he's been better, but maybe that would have been a time to have Trey Jackson in the game to be a little more athletic on that switch or have Jackson guarding an anti-savage. I just didn't like the Yetna Samuel matchup there. It just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, potentially. But I mean, it's hard to figure that out depending on what was happening a few plays earlier. I don't know. Maybe he was going for bruising size over... Over that sleekness that Trey Jackson brings to you, Mike. But, you know, if we didn't want to preview the Cal game and we forgot to preview the Bethune-Cookman game, I've got a real hard time even getting excited enough to preview Wagner and Nyack, Michael. And we, we hey hi, wait we follow the team and we did not preview Cal and we forgot that we even played Bethune Cookman. You think the AP writers are paying attention to what Seton Hall did the rest of this week? Their eyes were going to be on them relative to the matchups for Ohio State and potentially the matchup against Florida. We joked and said, "Hey, you win both of those games, and there's a shot that you could be knocking on the door." of the top 10. And then I forgot to realize that we are Seton Hall and the rest of the national writers do not give us the respect that we typically deserve. Tom, Arizona, after we did our early episode last week, beats Michigan uh, in a neutral site by 20. They took them to the woodshed. And then entering the polls that week, Arizona is now 17 Michigan's 20 off of two losses, and we were still 21. I'm sorry. How does that happen? How does that happen? I don't and, and then know, it gets Michael, worse. I'm not a national podcaster, so I don't pay attention to what Arizona did before that game, Mike. Uh, well, I, I cared about what Arizona did because I care about the strength of that victory for our resume later in the season. I'm, I, I've transitioned into the resume building top 25 part of the show that you hate, but Mike, I'm trying to make the sure. First month of the season, we had two crap games. We're not going to be ranked come Monday because no one's going to look at squeaky wins against Cal and unimpressive wins against Bethune Cookman to be ranked, Mike. That's no, why I'm not uh, paying I, I attention to your resume building top 25 section. I, I agree. Seton Hall should be lucky to be in the top 25 come Monday. They'd probably be one or two spots on the outside looking in. But 
you don't follow this. It doesn't bother you that Michigan, our vaunted road victory against a top four team nationally, has now lost twice, and then they back it up. Hear me out. They back it up by leading Tarlington. Tarlington by three with four minutes and 20 seconds to play. Tom, Tarlington became D1. Take a guess when. 2020, Tom. The vaunted Michigan team at home had to had to squeak it out against Tarlington. Mike, if it was five games left in the season, I'll be interested to see how the Michigan game plays out then, Michael. I don't care right now. Oh, you don't care about the people pounding their chest on Twitter about the Big East starting 36 and four. And then all of a sudden, what what happened in the last eight days? Oh, Oh, what happened? 17 and 11 since they go four and five against the power five schools and they go four and five versus the mid majors. But you don't see, you don't care about this because it's early. They were going to go 50 and three against all that to start this season. Mike, it's the law of averages. It's going to catch up to you eventually. No, no, I, I expect Creighton to try to take it to Colorado state, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm sorry. Butler got run out of the building again by Houston. Providence didn't hold their own against Virginia. You know, Villanova's our flagship team. UConn gets the big marquee win against Auburn in double overtime and comes back to lose to Michigan State. I'm sorry. It was not a good showing for the Big East this past week. Michigan State's a bad loss now. This is what you're telling me. I didn't. That's what you're telling me right now. I didn't say it was a bad loss. Michigan State was unranked. And UConn was ranked. I hope that when we're ranked, our ranked teams are holding the fort down. And it didn't happen. All this stuff happens every season during the first month of the year, Mike. You're going to give yourself more gray hair than you already have by paying attention to this right now. the, The Big East had four teams in the top 25. It offers the opportunity for more marquee victories come conference play. You want to see those teams maintain the momentum. So when Seton Hall notches those victories, they are big resume chips. If they lose in the non-conference, whether you like these games or not, whether you care or not, you're going to sit there going, uh-oh, Mike, we got four games. We got four games against Nova and Creighton. And if we don't win these four games, where are the wins going to come from? Well, that's starting to happen every year where there's one or two teams at the top of the standings. And if Seton Hall doesn't get those victories, the resume looks much lighter. For, so for I hope one, I, it's now six games because you got, oh, my goodness, Mike, we got to play Nova, UConn and Creighton. Oh, my God. Uh, but, but Cre- Cre- where Creighton's are not the, the wins going to happen? Come Creighton from. is not the same Creighton as last year already. Creighton is going to be, Creighton's you know, on the bottom. Creighton's going to be okay by the end of the season, Mike. You'll oh, see. here we go. Here we go. Creighton's going to be okay. Okay. Anyway, oh, let's talk about things that are really important, including the two upcoming cupcakes we've got coming up this week. <laughs> you know, you don't want to talk about resume building, but we got to talk about Wagner. I, has Wagner even played in the last two and a half weeks? I am not getting another mic flop because we don't talk about the upcoming games, Michael. We've got some pride and we're going to keep up with this stuff. So Wagner, like you said, has not played for two and a half weeks. Their last game was November 18th. And they have they were 2-0 on the season. They have beaten Hartford and Virginia Commonwealth. 
So far in this year, they've got a trio of good-sized guards leading them in all statistical categories. They've got Alex Morales, a six-foot-six senior guard, scoring 17 and a half, pulling down eight boards and having and dishing out two and a half assists per game. Will Martinez, another senior guard, 6'5", 13 points, 5.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists per game. And Elijah Ford, a senior guard, 6'5", 11 points, and 2.5 rebounds a game. No. And no, that I'm, is I'm, the amount that I'm going to talk about Wagner. I, I, I'm not going to do this. There's probably like five people still listening to the podcast, and we've gone on for an hour and a half today just – bemoaning about the Cal and Bethune-Cookman games. I, I'm not going to give Nyack College D2 their respect. Uh, fine. Two and four, uh, I, Isaiah uh, Aris, senior forward, 18 points, 10 rebounds against what? Our, our Lady of Grace uh, of, of, of the Cornfields? I mean, who, who is he scoring against? Jaden Dawson, senior wing, 12.8 points per game. 3.7 is that is that assists is that real do i care tom tom they, they should be playing they had a big game against our lady of perpetual leaky sinks so come on mike let him go tom if joe smith is not logging 20 minutes in this game i'm gonna be upset how about that forget about working out the kinks i i how about you want to you want to change up the starting lineup i want to start with our boy tyler powell i want joe smith manning the middle give me jahari running the point let me, let me uh, J- jameer harris can can maybe start for one game because he's not going to start in the other games apparently Th- throw it out there let's have some fun how did Joe Smith not get any time against Bethune Cookman? You're up by 25. The, the walk-on comes in. Happy birthday, Sylvester Granda. You scored a bucket on your birthday. How does Joe Smith not make a, an appearance here? They love Granda, the fans. I mean, it's the walk-on, right? They love Granda. Yeah, he could be my fifth guy starting in that in that game against Nyack. There's my fifth right there. Get Granda out there. You know what? If if they can't hold down the fort in the first four minutes, all right, that's fine. But then you switch it back up. Oh, well, come I, on, I, Tom. I am afraid to ask you, Mike. What do you think happens prediction. this week? I hope nobody gets hurt. How about that? The prediction is the Pirates stay healthy. Maybe, maybe we get a Miles Kale sighting for a few minutes to work off the rust leading up to the Texas game. That would be my prediction, but but Kevin's going to hold that back, right? He's going to be hot dangling that carrot all week long because there's nothing else to talk about in these two games. Work out the kinks, share the basketball, run some offensive sets. Do not take your opponents for granted. Slam these two opponents, send them out in the cold, and prepare for Texas. Amen to this. I don't have much more to say. I, I'm just hoping... The Seton Hall Nyack game actually makes it onto FS1. This just feels like one of those Fox Sports USA type games that's gonna. That's happen. a that's, that's a Walsh game, right? That's a Walsh game. I believe it is a Walsh game. That's kind that's kind of cool. I mean, the fact that it's a Walsh game that counts. That's or does it count? It it counts, but it doesn't count. You're, how about this? I'll I'll end the show this way. I'll try to take pleasure in other people's misery, right? We 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 still finished two and one this week. We lost on a crazy buzzer beater against a top twenty five caliber opponent, and we've been 
bitching and moaning basically the majority of the episode, which I think it was warranted. It wasn't quality basketball that we watched, but you could have been down by the banks. Oh. And you could have <laughs> lost. You could have lost twice this week on buzzer beaters against Lafayette. And then way to bounce back against UMass, who got drubbed by Yale by a tune of 20 points. I'm sorry, but the best team in the state is not wearing red. They are not the best team since the 79 Final Four run. I'm tired of the hype. I'm sick of it. I want to crush them in two weeks. And I don't want to hear about it. Give us the press that we deserve. We should be the talk of the town at five and one, regardless of our struggles. That crap that's happening across the banks or across the way is a disgrace to New Jersey basketball. I'm over it, Tom. I want our due respect. The Pirates represent New Jersey basketball. Stop pushing the narrative because there's more readers uh, across the way. I'm, I'm, I'm over it. You know, Mike, I, I don't know what to tell you. I've been watching crappy Rutgers sports or at least reading about it in the press for 30 years, 35 years. None of this surprises me. And yes, as long as the Wagner game and as long as the Nyack game make it on the TV, I'm going to be sitting there, popcorn in hand, remote control, saying, go Pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at Pirates, And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 